Chapter 46 of The Emancipation of South America by Bartolomé Mitre. Translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Nater. The Interview at Guayaquil, 1822. Once only do astronomers record the meeting of two comets at the point of intersection of their eccentric orbits. Almost as rare in the records of mankind is the meeting of two men who have made the history there recorded. After Washington, San Martin and Bolivar are the only two men of the New World whose names figure in the catalogue of the heroes of humanity at large. They were greater as liberators than as men of thought, but the influence of the deeds accomplished by them yet lives and works in their posterity. Events are the logical consequence of causes which have preceded them, nevertheless they are moulded by the influence of individuals. If Columbus had never lived, America would at some later date have been discovered by someone else. If Cromwell had never lived, the revolution would have occurred in England all the same, but without him it would not have triumphed. The emancipation of the British colonies of North America must in any case have produced a great republic, but it was Washington who impressed upon the democracy the seal of his moral greatness. The French Revolution was the natural outcome of what had preceded it, but had it been directed by others than those who had directed, the result might have been better. The insurrection in South America was a spontaneous movement resulting from historical antecedents and from the circumstances of the time, but the triumph would have been delayed and the losses in the struggle would have been greater but for the genius of San Martin and Bolivar, who directed the discordant elements to one definite end. San Martin acted more from calculation than from inspiration, Bolivar more from instinct than method, yet both were necessary, each in his own place. While they went with the current, they were mere agents, but they laid hold of the forces that were in action, condensed them, and impelled them to act on one general plan by them devised, which was unseen by the masses, and they worked in concert, the idea of San Martin being carried to a successful ending by Bolivar. Neither could alone have achieved the emancipation of the continent. Now these two men were to meet for the first time under the fiery arch of the equator, with the ocean on the one hand, on the other the giant range of the Andes. The world listens intently and hears nothing of what they say. One quietly disappears, saying words which have no meaning in them, the other as quietly takes his place. For twenty years all is mystery, then the veil is partially drawn aside, and it is seen that there is no mystery, that nothing had happened save what everyone knew was certain to befall. Only now that the masks have fallen, we can read in the character of each one of them the motives which made the one relentless in his purpose and forced abdication of the other. San Martin sent an auxiliary force to aid in the war in Quito without making conditions of any kind and expected to receive help in Peru on the same terms. But after Pichincha, Bolivar was master of the situation and could dictate his own terms. San Martin indulged the illusion that he was still one of the arbiters of South America, that Bolivar would share with him his political and his military power, and that in conference they would arrange together the destinies of the nations by them emancipated. Without other plan, he sought that interview with the liberator, which was to decide his own destiny, and was to paralyze his career. 
Guayaquil was the only province of the late Viceroyalty of New Granada which was not yet absorbed into the new Republic of Colombia. With this acquisition, her territory would stretch from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and Bolivar would lay his powerful hands upon Peru, quote, the last battlefield of America, end quote, as San Martin expressed it. Bolivar was now arbiter of the destinies of South America, and could not tolerate opposition from San Martin. His policy, a union of personal ambition with grand designs of emancipation, now began to show itself. At Quito he saw for the first time the troops of San Martin, and could compare them with his own. He barked their soldierly bearing and strict discipline. More especially, he noted the Argentine mounted grenadiers, and saw that, compared with them, his own llaneros, brave as had been their deeds, were but an undisciplined mob of horsemen. From that time there arose in his heart that jealousy of Argentine influence which was presently to mould his policy. At a banquet given in his honour at Quito, he exclaimed in his enthusiasm, Quote, the day is not far distant when I will carry the flag of Colombia triumphant to Argentina. End quote. Five Argentine officers were present, and Juan Laval, rising to his feet, proposed a toast quote, to the independence of America and of the Argentine Republic. End quote. There were no more toasts. On the eleventh of July, Bolivar entered Guayaquil under triumphal arches inscribed with his name. The gunboats on the river hauled down the white and blue flag of Guayaquil and hoisted the tricolor of Colombia. What so soon? End quote, he exclaimed, thinking this was a signal for the incorporation of the province. But when the boats had fired a salute, up again went the white and blue flag, and was hailed by a unanimous shout of quote, Viva Guayaquil Independiente! End quote. He replaced his cocked hat, which he had till then carried in his hand, and the procession went on, but the incident excited much comments in the city, and especially in the Peruvian legation. The intentions of Bolivar were no secret. He had brought fifteen hundred men with him who occupied the city. Within twenty-four hours of his triumphal entry, a deputation of his partisans waited upon the municipality and asked them to proclaim the province a part of the Republic of Colombia. They refused, alleging that the decision of the question lay with the representatives of the people, who were then in assembly. The application was repeated and was again refused. On the 13th of July, an appeal was made to Bolivar himself. Bolivar sent his secretary to the junta and an aide-de-camp to the assembly to announce to them that in consequence of an anarchy which prevailed, he had assumed the supreme power and had annexed the province to Colombia. The junta resigned and fled on board the Peruvian squadron, then lying at anchor in the harbor. San Martin had sent this squadron in support of his own partisans, thinking that Bolivar was yet in Quito, but the liberator had been too quick for him. On the 25th of July, San Martin himself arrived in the schooner Macedonia. Bolivar sent off two of his aides-de-camp to salute him and to offer him hospitality, quote, on Colombian soil, end quote. The next day he disembarked amid files of silent soldiery and crowds of enthusiastic people. Bolivar, dressed in full uniform and surrounded by his staff, awaited him at a house which had been prepared for him. The two heroes met and embraced for the first and last time at the foot of the staircase, and turning, entered the house arm in arm. 
In the salon the Liberator presented his generals, then the authorities of the city came to bid him welcome. A deputation of ladies presented an address to him, then a beautiful girl of eighteen years of age placed a laurel wreath of gold upon his head. San Martin, little accustomed to such theatrical ceremonies, flushed and took the crown from his head, but said that he would keep it for the sake of the patriotic sentiment that inspired the gift, and for the sake of those who bestowed it in memory of these happy days. The two representatives of the revolution, being left alone, walked up and down the salon together, but what they said to each other could not be heard by those in the anteroom. Bolivar appeared to be agitated. San Martin was calm and self-possessed. They shut the door and talked together for more than an hour and a half. Bolivar then retired, impenetrable and grave as a sphinx. San Martin accompanied him to the foot of the staircase, and they took a friendly leave of each other. Later on, the protector paid a visit to the liberator, one of mere ceremony, which lasted only half an hour. The next day, the 27th, San Martin sent his baggage on board the schooner, saying that he should sail after attending the great ball given in his honour, and at 1 p.m. went again to call on the liberator, remaining closeted with him for four hours. At 5 p.m. they sat down together to a splendid banquet. When the time for toasts arrived, Bolivar stood up and proposed one, quote, to the two greatest men of South America, General San Martin and myself. End quote. San Martin then proposed another, quote, to the speedy conclusion of the war, to the organization of the different republics of the continent, and to the health of the liberator of Colombia, words that indicated the thoughts which occupied his mind. They then passed to the ballroom, where Bolivar gave himself up with juvenile ardor to the delights of the waltz, of which he was passionately fond. The rude behavior of the Colombian officers, who were roughly reprieved by Bolivar, gave a grotesque aspect to the scene. San Martin looked coldly on, evidently preoccupied with thoughts of a much more serious matter. At 1 a.m. he called his aide-de-camp Guido to him, and said, quote, Let us go, I cannot stand this riot. End quote. Bolivar had already taken leave of him. A chamberlain showed him out by a private door and accompanied them to the landing place. An hour afterwards, the Macedonia was under way. The next day, San Martin rose early and was silent and preoccupied. After breakfast, as he was walking the deck, he exclaimed, quote, The liberator has been too quick for us. End quote. On reaching Callao, he commissioned General Cruz to write to O'Higgins. The liberator is not the man we took him to be. End quote. Words which are a compendium of the results of the interview. Of what passed between them, no account was published, but at that time there were only two questions which could be discussed between them, the conclusion of the war and the political organization of the new states. What occurred at the famous conference at Tilsit is as well known as though all the world had been there to listen. The interview at Guayaquil is still more easy to reproduce, illuminated as the subject is by later disclosures from the pen of San Martin himself. The unsteady glance and ill-concealed vanity of Bolivar produced repulsion in San Martin, who read his character at once. But Bolivar, full of himself, failed to penetrate the calm exterior of San Martin. He learned nothing of his ideas, and looked upon him as one who owed his victories to fortune more than to genius. 
Bolívar had in his head a confused plan for the consolidation of America, in which everything was to hinge upon his own personality. San Martin, who had no personal ambition, said of him, quote, his feats of arms entitle him to be considered the most extraordinary character that South America has produced, of a constancy to which difficulties only add strength. End quote. But he had none of the frankness of a soldier, and disclosed nothing of these plans to San Martin. There was therefore nothing to discuss between them. On that point they could treat only of facts already accomplished. San Martin expatiated upon the importance of bringing the war to an end. Three or four thousand Colombian troops placed at his orders would enable him to finish it in three months. Bolivar offered him only three battalions, and the war lasted for yet three years. San Martin then offered to serve under him, if he would only take a sufficient force with him. Bolivar declined the offer, alleging that he could not leave Colombian territory without special authority from Congress. San Martin then saw that the liberator would not make common cause with him, that one or the other must give way, and it is probable that he then formed the resolution of retiring from the scene. The organization of the new states was the only other subject on which they could exchange opinions. Doubtless San Martin set forth his reasons for believing that in the establishment of independent monarchies lie the solution of the question the people not being yet so educated in the principles of self-government as to be capable of sustaining the common responsibility of democratic rule. And Bolivar would scout the idea, showing that monarchy was a European, not an American institution. His own power, as the head of a republic, was greater than that of any constitutional king. Deep in his mind lay the teachings of his old master, Simon Rodriguez, who had taught him that the bestowal of all offices for life was the means whereby stability could be given to democracy. The result of this talk was seen in the toast which San Martin proposed at the subsequent banquet, quote, to the republics of South America, end quote. Was there more than this? Likely enough. The reserve which both maintained on the subject for many years is an indication that such was the case. San Martin foresaw the failure of his scheme, and silence became a patriotic duty, lest he should place arms in the hands of the enemy. Bolivar, recognizing the moral superiority of his rival, felt abashed in the presence of such abnegation, and cared not to speak of that which could only throw a slur upon his own fame. On the return of San Martin to Peru, he announced publicly his satisfaction with the result of the interview, the conclusion of a South American alliance, and the speedy arrival of a reinforcement of three battalions of Colombian troops. But immediately afterwards he wrote to Bolivar, setting forth the great numerical superiority of the royalist forces, and showing that much more efficient help was needed to put an end to the war. He concluded with these remarkable words. Quote, my decision is irrevocable. I have convened the first Congress of Peru. The day after its installation I shall leave for Chile, convinced that my presence is the only obstacle which keeps you from coming to Peru with your army. For me it would have been the height of happiness to have concluded the War of Independence under the orders of a general to whom America owes her liberty. Destiny has decreed otherwise, and I must resign myself to it. End quote. 
This letter explains one of the principal causes of his retirement from public life, and may be considered as his political testament. He yields his self-imposed task into the hands of a more fortunate rival, congratulating him upon the glory of finishing the great work. By the bearer of this letter he also sent Bolivar a fowling piece, a brace of pistols, and a war-horse to carry him on his next campaign, with this special note. Quote, receive general this remembrance from the first of your admirers with the expression of my sincere desire that you may have the glory of finishing the war for the independence of south america history records not in her pages an act of self-abnegation executed with more conscientiousness and with greater modesty End of chapter forty six